the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. We appreciate your faithfulness. Today, we want to talk about fear, and uh, I want to give it to you in the context. Fear, friend or foe? And the reason I I put it like that is because I, I see, well, obviously, the dominant spirit in America today and probably throughout the rest of the world is fear, fear of the virus, fear of the lies about the virus, Fear about what the government's doing to their freedoms. Fear about uh, a second return of the virus. Just, you know, just bad news on the tube, on the radio, on the television, day after day after day. The same people giving you the same bad news. And that wears on us. And people are responding fearfully. You know, businesses are closed. Churches are closed. I went to get a pizza the other day. And I walked in there without a mask. They said, you got to have a mask. I said, here, I will pay you the money. I'll wait outside. You bring me the pizza. And they had mentioned they got fined. And I find that so offensive that their government is fining people just trying to make a living. You know, it's a pizza place, man. But anyway, businesses are closed and churches are deciding what to do. And I know the biggest church here in town, they're still closed. They don't know what's going on. And it's just an ongoing battle. And it's fear predicated. And ideally, the church, you know, the Bible says we've all been given the measure of what? We've all been given the measure of faith. Faith is the combating spirit against fear. And so we need to really build ourselves up in our faith so that we're equipped to handle fear, to recognize it. But I want to come at this from the aspect of fear, You know, I saw a friend, highly respected friend, put a post out the other day talking about if it creates fear, it's not from God. And, you know, off the top of your head, you want to say, yeah, I'm right. That's right. But then when you look at the Bible and you read the Bible and you talk about aspects of fear, like the fear of the Lord and different things, you kind of reevaluate your thinking about that. The scripture that we all know is 2 Timothy 1.7. We've heard that. That's probably been the most preached scripture in uh, churches this last month or two. It's for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a great word. And in context, that was Paul writing to young Timothy. Timothy was in charge of the church at Ephesus, and he was young. And this was his first experience in leadership in that regard. And the church was rolling along pretty well, but then uh, Nero decided that he was going to go ahead and burn down Rome, and he was going to blame the Christians for it. And so the Christians started being hauled away, going to jail, losing their homes, being persecuted, being killed. And obviously, this upset Timothy, and so Paul was writing him this, Timothy, 
Don't be scared. God has not given you the spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power and love, and your mind is sound. Don't be double-minded. Don't be scared. Don't be jittery about stuff. Focus on God. And that's how the context of what that was written in. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy not to give in to the fear. So I want to look at some of the scriptures. We'll start in the Old Testament to talk about the fear because we need to come to a decision. You know, is fear, is fear good? Is fear bad? Is all fear bad? Do we need, like my friend wrote, do we need to just associate every time you see fear or you sense fear or you hear that word fear? That's not God. God would never do that. God would never talk to us like that. God does not instill fear. Well, let's look at the Bible and see what it has to say. Genesis 42, verse 18. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, because I fear the Lord. And so here he is, Joseph. He is acknowledging that he has a healthy fear of God. There's three Greek words in the New Testament for fear. Uh, One is phobos, and you've heard of that, phobia. That's where we get the word fear from. And that has a meaning of flight. Uh, It's caused by being scared, running away. It's a word that is used in the sense of cowardice. And it's basically, it's a wholesome dread and a fear of displeasing God. And that's one of the ways in which Phobos is used in the New Testament. It's the reverential fear of God. It inspires constant carefulness in dealing with others. And that's the good aspect of fear. Another word is D-E-I-L-I-A. I'll call it dahlia. It's a fearfulness. It's rightly rendered fearfulness. And it's the spirit that God has not given us. This is the spirit. This is the word that's used when Paul's talking to Timothy. It's never used in a good sense. And it's usually associated with cowardice and fearful. And then the last word is eulabia. It signifies, firstly, caution and then reverence godly fear. In general, it's apprehension. But really, realistically, this is a holy fear. And I love what it says in the Vines. I'm reading out of the Vines Expository Dictionary, great resource. And they've got one for the Old Testament, the New Testament. They've got one for both of them together. Just a great, great resource along with the Strong's Concordance. Great, great study tools for the Christian. But I love the way it puts it here. In the Old Testament, Eulabia, it places its emphasis on the fear. For instance, the Old Testament, they feared God while they loved him. Whereas in the New Testament, we are supposed to love God while we yet fear him. Do you catch that? In the Old Testament, their relationship was based on fear, but they had to learn how to love God. And in the New Testament, totally opposite. Our relationship is based on love. Yet, we must remember that there has to be a reverential fear, an awesome dread that he is God and we are not. And so it's not love absent fear, but it's love with fear. And when we fail to talk about the judgments of God, when we fail to talk about the rebukes or the chastisement by the Lord, we tend to leave off this fear aspect of knowing God. And that's very dangerous because it paints a false picture of who God is. It puts us in a false place of security. We tend to miss out on the judgments and on the corrections of the Lord. And that's, that's unacceptable in the kingdom of God. Okay, so we see that Joseph, Genesis forty two eighteen, Joseph this do and live, for I fear God. Deuteronomy 6, 2, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day and all the days of thy life, and your days will be prolonged. 
So we see that Joseph admitted he had a healthy fear of the Lord. We see Moses commanding the Israelites to fear the Lord thy God. And the way that they do that is to keep all the statutes and his commandments. And then Second Samuel 23, 3, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. And he that ruleth over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And I tell you, that's awesome. You know, when you get promoted and you become a ruler, let's say a President Trump or President Obama or somebody over uh, back in the days, uh, Churchill or anyone, any ruler today. And you must rule in the fear of the Lord. That is so important because if you remember that you're not God, if you remember that there's someone that's greater than you whom you must serve and you live your life based on the fear that he's God and I'm not, that'll help you be a better leader. So quickly uh, reassessing, Joseph associated fearing God with living. Moses told the children of God, he commanded them to fear the Lord so that what? They would live long on the earth. And then three, we see Samuel saying that rulers were to rule based on the fear of the Lord, recognizing that they too were answerable to someone. And then as we go back and we dig into the New Testament, we can see that there's really over 100 verses that talk about fear. And it's important that you get the context of this. You have to understand what fear is and can it be used for good? Can it be used for bad? Is it something to be shunned? So we're going to look at Philippians. Philippians alone tells us, Two aspects of fear. Number one, we ought to preach boldly without fear. So I like that. We ought to preach boldly, not having any fear. That's great. And then Philippians also tells us we are to work out our personal salvation with fear and trembling. So one aspect that tells us we are supposed to preach without having any fear. And in the other aspect, it tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear. So you go, well, that's contradictory. I don't understand that. Well, you're going to see how this all ties together in a second. Acts also reveals that there was great fear coming upon the church. Acts 5.11, and this is after Ananias and Sapphira were killed for lying to the Holy Ghost. He was killed by God. Let's get that straight. Okay, Acts 5.11, and great fear came upon all the church and is upon many as heard these things about Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, so great fear is upon the church. 12, verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. I love that. Fear came upon the church because of the judgment of God for children of God that disobeyed God. They lied to the Holy Ghost. Sin doesn't get much worse than that. And then because the fear, the church was walking in the fear of the Lord, the apostles were able to do signs and wonders. That's missing today, the fear of the Lord in our church. Acts 9.31, then had the churches rest throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and the churches were edified because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And people were added to the church. I love that. Because of the fear of the Lord, because the church was walking in the fear of the Lord, they also had the comfort of the Holy Ghost. The point I'm trying to make is we tend to fear the wrong stuff. There's, fear is not bad of its own. you got to understand that. You know, you see the people that are threatening to jump off buildings, and lots of times they don't. And it's fear. It's a healthy fear that, hey, I'm going to die if I do this. But here's the point that I'm seeing so far as I read through these scriptures. Sometimes we are told not to fear. Other times we are told to fear. Sometimes fear is a bad thing. Sometimes fear is a good thing. Sometimes fear is unnecessary. Other times fear is necessary. So let's go back to some scriptures. Let's just dig a little deeper. We want to get some clarity on this aspect of fear. 
I love this scripture. This is great. This is in Exodus 14, 31. And Israel, let me set this up. Uh, Israel is fleeing. The uh, Egyptians are chasing after them. And this is where God opens the water, parts the Red Sea. The Jews cross and the Egyptians are drowned behind them, the Egyptian army. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Great, great scripture. Israel saw. What did they see? They saw the miracle of the Red Sea crossing. They witnessed the power of God. This is important. They witnessed the power of God against their enemy, Israel. The Egyptians were not only the enemies of Israel, they were the enemies of God, and they saw the power of God upon his enemies. And what did this produce? This caused them to fear the Lord. So in this instance, fear for the Israelites was a good thing. And there's a great lesson here, man. And it's a lesson for you and it's a lesson for me. Do not be an enemy of God. Get on God's side. Fear God. You are going to have fear. Fear is a spirit, just like faith is a spirit. And fear is a spirit, and yet it can be used as a tool, and that's what God does. And yet Satan, who's a counterfeiter, Satan uses it to instill fear of man. Satan uses it to instill fear in the wrong way. God is the one to fear. Matthew ten twenty eight. This is important. This is Jesus speaking. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Jesus is telling you right there, who do you fear and who do you don't fear? Do not fear those who can kill the body. That's man. Man can kill the body. He cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that would be God. Right? The lake of fire, it was not designed for mankind. The lake of fire was designed for Satan and his fallen angels. And yet, mankind will choose to go there if, like Satan and his fallen angels, he rejects God's love toward them. God is the one to fear. Not the men who persecute the followers of Jesus Christ. The worst they can do is destroy the body. But being a coward before God can have eternal consequences. Dave Gusek wrote that. This scripture talks about fearing God over fearing man. And then Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon. There is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. Simply put, amen. Once you've experienced the presence of God, the awesomeness of who God is, the depths of his grace in your life, the intimacy of his love, and yes, the wrath of God, that should give you that reverential fear and awesome dread of the power of the living God. And it goes back to saying, once you've experiencing that, Nothing man can do to you is ever going to harm you. Pay attention. Read the Bible. Don't let people tell you about stuff that they have out of their own doctrines or their own church or their own leadership. Read the Bible. Fear. There's good aspects to fear and there's bad aspects to fear. But let's just sum it all up here. I'm trying to make a point to you that fear is not your enemy. You must understand that. The church, we are fearing. We are cowarding. What's the word? We are Fearful, we are exhibiting cowardice. We are uh, just not doing the things that we should be doing because we're scared. And it's a fear out of ignorance. But nonetheless, it's not the fear of the Lord. Fear. It can be and it should be your biggest ally right along with your faith. What did you just say, Ron? I'm saying fear should be an ally to the body of Christ. Just like faith is an ally. Faith is a weapon in our fight against the lies of the enemy. Well, Fear 
Me fearing God is the entrance to me having a relationship with God. My intimacy with God cannot grow unless I know who he is and I fear him for the judgment that could come. I fear him for the wrath that he's going to display on those who reject him. He's God. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with the fact that he judges people all the time. You know, we wrote something in a post the other day about the judgment of God. We talked about how the fact that, what was it? When, uh, what was the guy? Balaam. Balaam went ahead and he tricked the Jews into sleeping with the temple prostitutes. And God got upset. The leaders went over there from Israel. They did the same thing. God got upset. And the bottom line is God slew 21,000 of them. When the sons of Korah, when they challenged Moses' authority, God said, no problem. He's God. He said, I gave you Moses. You don't want to pay attention to him? Here's your penalty. The earth opened up, and I think it was like 24,000 or 30,000 people died. The earth swallowed them up. Here's one. 70, remember David. Love David. God, and this is such a hopeful recounting of, of, of what happened. God loves David. God loves you. But David was a man after God's own heart. And yet David decided as king, he was going to go ahead and he was going to take a census of the people. Remember that? God didn't want him to. David did it. You know what that cost? God's judgment upon David, whom he loved, and upon Israel, 70,000 people died in a plague. That's why I say, I'm sorry, this coronavirus, I do believe it's the judgment of God. People don't like to hear that. And yet, if you read the Bible, you do a study on uh, plagues, you'll never find a spot where Satan ever sent any plague. God sends plagues. God sends plagues as a way to get our attention. And so people don't understand that. If we would tell the truth about God and his judgments, we would have a better witness. We'd be able to let people know, hey, the reason we're having this trouble is because God is tired of us sinning. The reason God does not like sin is because eventually sin will kill us. Understand this. When God wiped out everybody but eight people during the flood, it was because he loved them. Because if he never did anything... They all would have died, every one of them. And that's where we are in America today. We are living such horrendous, depraved, wicked lives in the presence of God that we are destroying ourselves. AIDS is killing people. We murder each other. We're aborting uh, millions of babies throughout the earth every year. I mean, we are destroying ourselves. Because God loves us, he must intervene. And one of the ways he intervenes is through Judgment. Now, the church, we are the voice of God. We are the mouthpiece of God. We are the speakerphone of God. We are supposed to letting the people of the earth know, look, there is a judgment upon the earth, and it's because of our sin. We have got to stop sinning. We have got to quit rejecting God. We have got to quit making laws that violate the commandments of God. And if we don't, we will destroy ourselves. We will cannibalize an entire universe of people. So God sends judgments to get our attention. That's what love looks like. But we don't dare preach that. We're scared because they go, oh, well, you're just a hater. Oh, well, I don't want to serve a God that's going to send judgments. Well, if he just takes his hands off and lets us do what we want, we're all going to wind up in hell. So that's the alternative. You better want God to judge you. And the church needs to start speaking out and letting the people know, hey, this is God calling us because we've rejected him. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. what a great scripture. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, us which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, the hyper-grace movement or people that are seeker-friendly preachers or this new age church movement that's prevalent in the body of Christ within America, 
we would say that God would never do this. Now, no, God doesn't kill anybody. No, that's the devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Well, I just show you where God destroyed nearly 100,000 people that rebelled against him. That doesn't conform to that scripture, and yet it's written in the Bible. We need to go back to what is written, what is written. But look at Hebrews twelve twenty eight. People say grace, grace, grace. God's never going to do anything. We're under grace. Let's read that scripture and get our eyes open. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Wherefore, or because of this, we the body of Christ, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Thank you. The kingdom that we are a part of is unshakable. Let us have grace. Amen. This kingdom comes with grace. Amen. We access it through grace. Thank you, Jesus. It's the gospel of grace. Hallelujah. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen. However, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. I like that. With reverence and godly fear. Do you see that? Because of grace. Grace doesn't mean we don't have to fear God. That's ridiculous. You got the scripture backwards. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Understand this. Grace doesn't remove the fear of the Lord from your life. It's because of grace that you may acceptably serve God with reverence and godly fear. Grace is the vehicle by which we access God through fearing him. You've got to understand that. Grace doesn't eliminate the fear of the Lord. It opens the door for it. I find this one of the sweetest scriptures in the Bible. I just love it. Because we have received a kingdom that's unshakable, let's walk in God's grace. Because of this grace... We can serve God the way that we should. And what way is that? We serve God with reverence and godly fear. I love it. Me, the fact that God keeps me from watching pornography, the fact that God keeps me from doing drugs, that's my witness to you. And I keep myself from pornography. I keep myself from doing drugs because I have a healthy reverence and a godly fear. Yet all of that is accessible through the grace of God. People say because of grace, we don't have to fear God. That's not what that scripture says. That scripture says, because of grace, I get to fear God. Grace allows me to serve God the way he wishes in the fear of the Lord. I hope you get that. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. you need to understand it. We're going to have to come to a place, whether we like it or not, that we are to walk and live and breathe in the fear of the Lord. Fear is an okay thing. The problem is we don't recognize the difference. It's all about fear. Who do we fear will determine whether it's a godly fear or whether it's a demonic fear. And fear isn't bad of itself. We just have to identify the who and the what. I fear going to war because I may get shot, and yet it's my duty to defend my nation. Therefore, I will fear the Lord, and that will overpower any fear I have. He gives me the strength and the courage, and I will do it scared, but I will do it in the fear of the Lord. Let's look at Isaiah 11, 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Jesus, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That is part of the anointing that is on Jesus Christ that comes with the Holy Spirit of God. We have that same anointing upon us in the church. And let me close with these scriptures. I will get to them. They're great. The fear of the Lord, it's not just an attitude. The fear of the Lord is a place. It's a place where there's holiness, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. You perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. It's a place of learning. The fear of the Lord is a place of learning. Psalm twenty-five, twelve. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall the Lord teach in the way that he shall choose. I love that. 
The fear of the Lord, it's a place of revelation, Psalm twenty five fourteen. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Don't be scared of fear. Get it in Christ, in Christ, the fear of the Lord. That will throw out the fear of what man can do to you. Fear of the Lord. It's a place of deliverance, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord campeth around about those that fear him and delivers him. I mean, look at all the promises that are available to you when you walk in the fear of the Lord. It's a place of provision, Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear God. I love it. I love it. It's a place of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a place of wisdom. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, look at all this stuff. This is fabulous. It's so important that we recognize the fear of the Lord, Psalm 99. The fear of the Lord is clean. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. I mean, look at all the provision. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear the Lord. The problem is we're living in America today as Christians, and we fear Satan more than we fear God. Don't fear fear. Recognize fear and get it in Christ. Bring the fear of man into the subjection of the fear of the Lord. Like Spurgeon says, when you compare what's going on with man and you compare what's going on with Christ, that fear of man is just bowing its knee. There's no place for it to stand in the presence of God. We'll be back next week. I'm Ron Geyer. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.